Christianity is a relationship with Christ. It's a relationship of joy. And because he's God, we willingly want to submit to him, want to follow him. It's the joyous relationship of being, uh, being who you are in Christ. Why God made you to know him in his fullness. And so Jesus is saying, I've got this question. And let me tell you how you can really know if you're really a Christian. He gives us, beginning in verse 47, a picture of people who are trusting Jesus as Lord. And so he says this, verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. Jesus says, this is the epitome of someone who is trusting me. First of all, they come to me. Now, coming, hearing, acting, these are actually participles in the Greek. They're little, the I-N-G words. They mean this ongoing pattern. This is the pattern of people who are trusting Christ. They are always coming to him. It comes, first of all, by coming to him for salvation. Remember when John the Baptist shows up on the scene? He says, John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's pointing to Jesus. If you want to be forgiven of your sin, all the times that you've literally missed the mark, that's what sin means, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. The one who lived the perfect life, who died the perfect death and rose again on your behalf. But you don't just come to him once like, oh, check, like you got a ticket into the state fair and now you just kind of party and do whatever you want. Actually, it's an ongoing relationship where you keep coming to Jesus. You are coming to him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And second, he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words. It's not that you just like, I was present when the Bible was being read or someone told me something that Jesus said. Hearing actually had the idea that you processed what you heard. So it's not that you just heard someone saying words, but you're actually processing what is being said. And Jesus made this crystal clear that if, you're going, if you know me and if you're going to know life, you have to actually take my word into your soul. He said in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're pretty good at feeding yourself, right? Because you know you need food for life. Well, your soul needs nourishment. And the nourishment is the word of God. You come to him, you hear his word, and here's the huge difference maker. Notice what he said, and you act on them. You literally put them into practice. It's not that you heard and understand, but it's like you become an effective doer of the word. You come to Jesus for life, for strength. In fact, the more you focus on him, the more you have the desire and the ability through his empowerment to actually do what he says. And that's what he desires, to come to him, to hear his word, and to act on him. This is the ongoing Christian life. So you come to promises to obey, you look at sins to forsake, your attitudes and actions, you're evaluated through the word. You've got this ongoing pattern where the word of God becomes part of your DNA because you have a relationship with Christ and you keep coming to him, hearing his word, and acting on them. Let me tell you, no farmer ever gets his field plowed by ever just just turning it over in his mind, just sitting there kind of sipping on his lemonade going, yeah, man, I'm farming. And he just imagines himself planting all that seed in the soil. No. You've got to get on your tractor and get out onto the field, right? You're going to have a harvest. 
You've got to plant the seed. You can't just think about it. And so he says, you come to me, you hear my word, and you act on it. You might remember this principle. Truth is not possessed until it is practiced. Truth is not possessed until it is practiced. I was uh, a few years ago, uh, there was, I was in traffic on Highway 6, coming to you know, 84 where they kind of meet. And there was, there was this traffic jam, you know, which is kind of rare for Waco, which is one of the blessings of living here. And uh, I, I discovered there was a, a car that was stalled. And I'm like, gee, oh, I'm not really good in these scenarios, but I'm going to go see if I can be helpful, okay? I'm not a medic or a mechanic, right? I'm really the worst person to be out there. But I, I make my way through the traffic, you know, and people are honking their horns. And then I come up, this, and there's this lady sitting in your car. It's, it's dead. And she is flustered, you know, and she's, oh! And she looks at me and she yells at me, my car won't start. I'm like, okay, you know, I just came to help, you know, like, and, and she's like, and she's just panicking and there's people honking and I'm standing there. And, and I remember this happened to me one time and I said, oh, ma'am, is your, is your car in park? And she looks and it wasn't. And she goes, and she shoves it in the park and she turns it over and it starts and she's, oh, thank you. You know, and she just literally rips out of there. And then I'm standing in the traffic, you know, she's like, I'm like, okay, so I'll make my way back to my car, you know. I'm like, this is awesome. I, have n- I rarely am helpful, okay? And this actually happened. I sure hope someone videotaped this and I'll make the news. I actually did something that helped someone for a change. And so I, and, you know, you might feel like you're in life and, and you're totally stalled out. And people are blaring their horns at you. They're not happy with you. People are flying by on their cars. They seem to be driving okay and making it through life. And you're stalled out. You can't figure out what's going on. Let me tell you, you have to start with Jesus. You have to come with a simple, childlike faith. You've got to drop all your pretenses and all your pride. And you leave it at the door and at the foot of the cross. And you just trust Jesus for who he is, not who you want to make him to be. He's not some sort of celestial Santa Claus or little, little fairy that you call on to when you're in real trouble. Come to him as he is, Lord, God, Savior. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus is a carpenter. And he is going to conclude his message with a little contracting seminar. And he's going to use one of his favorite tools, and it's called a parable. A parable literally means to cast alongside. And this is what Jesus would do, is he would take something that's very familiar, and he would cast it alongside a spiritual truth that he's trying to teach people. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you something. Let me, let me tell you what it really looks like to know me. So he said, I'll show you whom he's like. You see that in verse 47? The guy or the woman that is coming to him, hearing his word and acting on him, acting on him. He says this, verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Let me tell you what it's like when you come to me, you hear my words, and you act on them. This becomes your pattern. You're like a smart individual who builds a house, and you understand that if your house is going to last, you have to have what is called a foundation. And so just like he says, they dug deep, and that's exactly what they did. They understood that when the torrential rains would fall, that if you didn't have a foundation, you aren't going to have a house for very long, so they dig deep. They could dig up to 10 feet deep, okay? And they would get to the place where they had solid rock, and then they would lay their, their house and build their house on that kind of foundation where it was absolute solid, where it wasn't going to go anywhere when the wind started blowing. I was uh, at Baylor uh, this past week. In fact, um, 
I got a slide of this. I was with the Cub Scouts, all right? Here we are. And we were touring the new Baylor Stadium. This is really cool, okay? Now, did you know, and if you read in the newspaper, you probably know this, but they're actually building it right alongside the river. They're actually building it in the 100-year floodplain, okay? So you know that that is going to flood someday, all right? And so the logical question is like, okay, I'm sure this makes a lot of sense. But okay, well, how far down did you dig to lay that foundation? How far down do those piers go? And the, and the superintendent there, he said, those casings, those piers go down 50 feet until we hit solid rock. But they're building that, that stadium that it's not going to go anywhere when the flood hits. The field might flood, but that building is going to stay. Do you know why they're doing that? Because they want that building to last a long time. Jesus says, you need to build your life like that. And he's, notice what he says. The wise guy, the man who's wise, he's like a man building his house who dug deep and he laid a foundation on the rock and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. When you build your life on Christ, it speaks of stability, strength. And notice what he said. He didn't say if the torrent and the flood comes. He said when. I can give you a guarantee. You are going to go through storms. I don't care who you are, how much money you have, how many times you've shown your face in a church. Even if you are trusting in Jesus, that doesn't mean you're exempt from trials. Every single one of us is going to go through hard times and difficulties and hardships. You're going to show up all sorts of places in your relationships. You're married, friends, co-workers. Work, finances, economic instability, wars, troubles, political problems, government. It's going to show up. You're going to go through storms. Are you building a life that is going to endure? Well, the only way you know that is if you're truly building on Jesus. There's no escape from life's calamities. And when Jesus came to the earth... He absolutely authenticated to the world for all time, you can believe in me. All of his miracles, all that he said, his resurrection from the dead, which he even prophesied, all are meant to draw humanity to himself so that your life will be built on the unshakable character of Christ. I was reading about this guy by the name of Robert Kupferschmidt. Uh, he's an 81-year-old guy. He was flying with his friend, Wesley Sickle, 52-year-old. They're flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. On June 17th, 1998, they're in their little Cessna 172 single-engine plane. They're flying along. Uh, Mr. Robert there had never actually uh, flown a plane before. And so he's thinking everything's fine. And you would think everything would be fine. But suddenly his partner, Wesley, suddenly just dies right there at the controls. And the plane, the Cessna is sort of taking this nosedive. And he's like, he's trying to process this 80-year-old guy. What's going on? So he, he grabs the controls, and he's trying to fly this plane. He's never flown before. As soon as he's trying to get some degree of stability, he gets on that radio, and he starts crying out desperately for help. There are two other pilots that were nearby that actually heard his call of distress. 
they were the closest airport was Mount Comfort. And so they actually start directing this 81-year-old guy who's got his dead friend next to him how to start flying this plane, having never flown before. And let me assure you, Robert is paying very close attention to everything that is being said. And so they, they're making their way there. These two pilots are able to guide him to Mount Comfort, where the airport is at. They got all the emergency vehicles there. They're ready. They circle the airport twice because they had... You know, they taught him basically kind of how to fly to get to the airport. But the hardest thing would be to land this plane. And so after circling twice, Robert, this 81-year-old guy, never flown a plane, following every single direction as these two pilots are guiding him into this landing, he makes this landing, and he, when he comes down, that nose starts bumping against that center line a couple times, flip back, that tail hit, and it sent it off into the soggy grass. And Robert walked out of that plane uninjured. Now, let me tell you, Robert was paying very close attention to what was being told to him by the other pilots that were flying around him. He understood that his life depended on it. My question is, do you understand that your life is dependent upon what you do with Jesus Are you serious? You really think you want to fly solo in this life without the Savior? You really think that's going to make sense? The very God who made you, you think you want to live life apart from him doing it your way? I can assure you, you don't. Because like Robert, there's going to be a safe landing for those who are trusting in Jesus. But let me give you a picture of people who are failing to trust Jesus as Lord. This is a picture to remember. Look at verse 49. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, he is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. Now here we have another guy. And guess what? He's hearing the same information. He's actually hearing the words of Jesus. This is your typical church guy or church lady. They've, they've heard the words of Jesus a lot. They might even pride themselves in showing up at church on a pretty regular basis. They've heard, but notice what the text says. The huge difference, they did not act on it. They thought for some reason that their religious attendance, or like the Pharisees who Jesus may be addressing, We're in the practice of doing outward, righteous, religious behavior, thinking that somehow that was going to solve some internal realities for them. And we are so prone to think like we just go through these different routines and rituals that that will make us okay. He says, no, he never acted upon it. And notice what happens. (laughs) Sure enough, a storm's going to come, and it's going to expose whether or not you have a solid foundation. So this guy, he built his house on the ground. He, he didn't lay a foundation. And notice what it says, verse 49. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Immediately the rains, the storm, the wind started whipping up. It came down. Dry rivers all of a sudden became violent and raging. And when it hit his little house that he thought he'd put right there by the riverside, and it went up instantly, It literally just comes crashing down because it has no foundation. 
If you are living your life and you haven't solidly planted on Jesus Christ, you're like this guy in verse 49. You built a house and it looks good. And you hope that you're going to make the parade of homes. Because, frankly, you've made a lot of investment. And your house went up really quick. You must really know what you're doing. The problem is, you never laid a foundation. And when the storms hit, it leads to total destruction. In this life, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, in the next, it is eternal condemnation. I can assure you, you do not want to be separated from the Savior. Now, why why would this guy build his life like this? I mean, why would people do that? Well, maybe, maybe this guy had other priorities. Maybe the guy wanted to be happy. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy, right? I'll be happy if I have a house that goes up really fast so I can do whatever I want. Maybe he was more focused on his career, his family, or his leisure, his retirement, and he never got down to actually doing the hard work of, of investigating who Jesus is and believing in him. Maybe he was unwilling to apply himself. I mean, why do you want to bother to dig down in the rocks? You know how hard it is to dig? It's hard. You don't want to do that or something, you know. And so he didn't. He had, didn't want to apply himself. Doing something else seemed far more attractive than trusting in Jesus. Or maybe he was just short-sighted. You know, he never really thought about the rains coming. Really, when everything was sunny and bright, I mean, things were good. He had a house. The other guy's sweating, digging deep. He's sitting there in his front porch, drinking lemonade by his house. But the issue is, when the storm hit, this man's house, what? It collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Your life goes down. Not only does it affect your life, it affects a lot of other people's. And like a house of cards, this man's life literally collapses. I want to tell you, it's going to cost you something to dig deep. Believing in Jesus Christ is all of grace. Forgiveness of sins, totally free. But you've got to make an investment if you're going to experience depth in your relationship with Christ. It's going to cost you some time. You're going to have to put some effort into it. You have to apply yourself. You have to read the word. You have to learn how to pray. You have to learn how to walk by faith. But let me assure you, by doing so, you are laying the strong foundation of Jesus in your soul. Now, if you came to church here today and you're like, I would like to know how do you destroy your life? I'm sure none of you came in here but I want to tell you how to do it, okay? Wow, I never went to a church before that told me how to destroy my life. I want to tell you how you can do it, all right? For some of you, you're like, good, man. Let me know. I'm going to take some notes, all right? This is your time right now. How How can you know how you can for surely destroy your life? Well, first of all, do not believe in Christ. No way. Don't believe in him or his word. And let me tell you how you can do this and be civil, and, and this is going to work for a lot of folks. Treat Jesus and the Bible as nice, but not necessary, okay? It's, it's all nice, you smile, yeah, Jesus, good guy, yeah. And just kind of say, Lord, Lord, but never do what he says, okay? Let me give you a second. You want to destroy your life? Never apply his word to your life, okay? The message of faith in Christ, uh, just totally reject that. Um, we have a word, we have a phrase for this in Texas. We call it chunk it, okay? It literally means throw it away, okay? So like, when you hear principles from the word or the word calling you to believe in christ or to have faith in him or to trust him don't do it chunk it let me give you another don't be consistent you know uh 
You want a house that will crumble? Well, don't ever give it attention. Just be rather inconsistent in your life, especially spiritually. And in fact, never be concerned with spiritual growth. Actually, be more concerned with the self-fulfilled life. Oh, and one other. You want to want to destroy your life? Don't worry. Don't worry. Because it will surely happen. You have God's word on it. See, this man heard, but he never acted. He built his house, but it was destroyed by the storm. And there were indicators in this man's life that he didn't have a foundation in Christ. We all have those indicators if we're living life apart from Christ. Despair, lack of direction, emptiness, selfishness, pride, no hope, living out of anger all the time, a little desire for holiness, no dependence or desire for Christ. These are all indicators that you've got these huge cracks going into your life. And they will break down. You know, let me tell you the wrong time to, if you're building a house today, to generally you don't build the foundation part in the hurricane. Do you? Nah. The beauty of Christ is even if you're facing the hurricane of your life right now, you can call out to him and you can find him to be the steady rock. But before the trials hit, now is the time to sink deep roots into Christ. I don't know when the storms and the hurricanes are going to come in your life. I can tell you this. You're either just coming out of one trial, you're just about to go into one, or you're in the storm right now. But I can tell you this. The Savior came with the storm in mind. He's going to see you through. He is going to see you through the other side and you can have a stability in life because you have the strength of Christ. And so what we need to do is to learn to live by faith, trusting him, loving him, truly just saying, God, I want you to run my life. You are Lord. And I, when I say that, I mean it. I want to do as you say. You see, the major problem with the my way of going through life It makes for a wonderful song, right? Frank Sinatra made a lot of money singing it, and Elvis Presley tried to do the same thing. The major problem with the my way approach to life is that it's not his way. The my way is like building a life without a foundation. His way is grounding and being grounded solidly in Jesus Christ. So you can't can't hurt your foundation by examining it, can you? Right now, I want you to know, think about it. What is your foundation built on? Is it on self-achievement and abilities? Is it on having a good financial portfolio? You think very carefully on that. When you think like life is okay, is it because you've got a lot of money in your account? Um, is it just having a good reputation in the community or a career foundation? Or have you just kind of laid your life on good times, just kind of one party after another? Or is your life built upon Jesus. You know, there's some folks that are fabulous at making a living. They can make a lot of money. They just don't have real life. And life and its storms have a way of showing that. I can tell you this. We know that Jesus is our Lord when we learn to trust him with our lives. 
He's the one who has freed us from sin. He gives us genuine spiritual life because his spirit actually resides in the hearts of those who believe. And he, he literally calls us and there's a yearning in the heart of the believer for holiness and to trust Jesus and to have faith. But the question is, are you truly trusting him? I'll tell you something that took place. Uh, this is back in Korea in my early years. Uh, we took a little vacation and we went and visited my grandparents who lived in Great Falls, Montana. And for those of you who are not sure where Montana is, it's way north of here. Okay, in fact, it's the fourth largest state in the Union. All right? Okay, and so we went to Great Falls and, and uh, spent the night with my grandparents. And we picked them up and we were going to do a day trip and just kind of make a little circle uh, around central Montana of the area that I grew up as a kid. And so we're making our way from Great Falls to Helena, Montana. Absolutely splendorous drive. I mean, it's even better than the drive from here to Dallas. I mean, it's just, and I, and I know how good that is, you know. And it's, it's awesome. You got rocks and mountains, and it's just like everything you think Montana should be, man, it's got it. We come to this area called the Gates of the Mountains Wilderness Area. And it's, it's called the Gates of the Mountains because when Lewis and Clark, those American explorers, came through, July 19th, 1805, when they're making their way on that Missouri River, it's come about evening, and they saw these massive rock-like cliffs just, just jetting up, straight up. And it literally looked like they were blocking the Missouri River. But as they made their way onto the Missouri River, it's like they opened up, like they were giant gates. They'd never seen anything like it. And so they called them the Gates of the Mountains as they were kind of making their way. And when we got there with my grandparents, we, you can take these boat tours of it. It's really cool. You get on this nice little boat. They give you some water. There you go. And you're just kind of cruising in like, you are living, man. This is awesome. And they got this tour guide, and they're telling you all these different things about Lewis and Clark. And one of the things they'll tell you when you're on this tour is about this incredibly tragic fire. It was a huge raging fire that took place August 15, 1949. It's called the Man Gulch Fire. And it was a terrible fire. And what took place there was that once it was identified, they needed to start fighting this fire. Okay? It literally could consume. This, now this took place in the summer. Helena, Montana, which is about 20 miles away, was 95 degrees. The wind was whipping, and this fire was literally just making its way all the way through there. And so what happens is, and this happens even today, you have what are called smoke jumpers, where they literally go and they're dropped in by parachute, and they start fighting these fires to try to contain them. I mean, you've got to have guts. And so there was this guy by the name of Wagner Dodge. He was the foreman. Him and 15 other of his smoke jumpers, even though they needed more rest, it's just showing up for another day's work. They get in their plane. They start flying. They come. They kind of survey the fire. They make their assessments of where they're going to drop. They jump out of that plane. They make their landing. All 16 of them hit the ground. There are no complications. They make it. Everything seems to be working without problems. They get their parachutes loaded up. Wagner Dodge, the foreman, says, you guys stay here. He's going to run. He gets closer up to the fire. He gets to about a hundred, within about 100 feet of it, and he all of a sudden realizes some things that are going to radically change his life. First thing he realized is that this fire is far worse than he had ever imagined. And this was, it was raging. Usually a forest fire moves at a rate about four to five miles an hour. Because if you're thinking like, who in their right mind would jump into a forest fire like that? They always generally figure if things got really bad, you could outrun it. This fire, on the other hand, was because the wind was whipping far faster than that. And the second thing that he realized is that where they were positioned what is, is what's called like the transitional zone. It's where the mountains and the pine trees then become tall grass 
and the grass was extremely dry, and they were in this transitional zone, and this dra- the grass was about shoulder height. If there was one thing that the American Indians were most afraid of, it was a prairie fire, because when the grass is dry like this, it literally just ignites, and it's just like a rapid pass of fire. This huge wall of fire is just literally going to consume acres and acres of land. And Wagner Dodge realizes that they're in the midst of this kind of fire. And so he, makes, he gets back to his men, and he's, they have, he figures he's got about 60 seconds to live. What do you do? You have no options. You run. You run through that grass. You're going to be consumed. You stand there. You're consumed. And then he took out a match, and he lit it. And he threw it in this tall grass. Apparently, some of the other guys thought he was totally crazy, like he was going to light some sort of backfire or something like that. It's way too late. There's no way that's going to have any, any effect. He lights this, just ignites, has this huge circle of fire, and then he motions his men to jump inside where that, he had just lit this fire. Most of his men thought he was, like, crazy. What he, and they, like, they took off running through the tall grass. Two of the guys thought that he was signaling to run around, and they did, and they found like this little cave, a crevice in this rock, and they actually crouched and got their bodies in there. Wagner Dodge, seeing what took place, his men running, he jumps inside this burnt-out area. He stamps out all the fire. He takes a wet towel, wraps it over his face, and he goes and plants himself right where that fire that he had lit had been. And just seconds later, that fire, that wall of fire just comes screaming through. You could literally hear the sap just exploding out of the trees as it was flying through and it hits this grass. And just in a minute, it totally overtook him. But the fire didn't burn where the area had already been charred. And after a couple minutes, Wagner Dodd gets up, takes the towel over off of his face, and he is, he is untouched by the fire. Two other guys that went to the cave that found that crevice in the rock, they made it. One of those guys I heard recently, he didn't ever want to talk about his experiences. But the other 13 guys that didn't listen to the foreman, who thought they might be able to outrun the fire in a transitional zone, they all died, all 13 of them. Friends, there is a storm and there is a fire that is coming. And you and I must absolutely trust in Jesus. And we've got to go to where the ground has already been burnt. Do you know that there is a penalty for your sin? And that God has actually taken his full wrath and he has poured it upon Jesus who has died in our place. So that you and I don't face the penalty for our own sin. And if you're trusting in Jesus, the fire will pass you because the Savior has saved you. The most important question that has ever been asked of humanity was asked 2,000 years ago by a Roman governor by the name of Pontius Pilate. And he simply asked this question. Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? He asked that question at the trial of Jesus. And do you know what the people said? Crucify him. But the question still stands. What will you do with Jesus? Patrick Henry, a orator, civil leader in the American Revolutionary period, said this, I wish I could leave you my most cherished possession, my faith in Jesus Christ. For with him, you have everything. And without him, you have nothing at all. What will it be for you? 
how do you know if you're really trusting in Jesus? If he's really your Lord? Well, we know that Jesus is Lord when we learn to trust him with our life. And now is the time to do that. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage of scripture. Only your son could, in just a few sentences, bring utter clarity on the most important issues of life. The central question, what shall we do with Jesus? And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ, and they understand today, that they would turn from building a life without a foundation to the only solid foundation, which is Jesus, the resurrected one. And simply pray with me and say, Lord, okay, you know me, I'm a sinner. And I'm turning from my sin and I'm trusting Jesus for life, for forgiveness, for my eternity. And Father, may we be those who continually come to you, hear your word, and act on them. May this be the foundation and the regular patterns of our life that we might show, especially in the storms of life, that Jesus is our Lord, rain or shine. He's the light and the Lord of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.